Hey everyone, a uh, quick little announcement before the show. Uh, I was on another podcast called For the Love of History uh, last week where we talked about the Oneida cult and it's an insane story uh, and also you probably are connected to it more than you think you are. So uh, head on over to For the Love of History to check that out and if you are checking this podcast out because you came over from that show, well, hi, how's it going? Uh Sorry in advance for just all of this. And uh, if you're the kind of person who appreciates a good trigger warning, just go ahead and just use this as a blanket warning because, you know, you never know what you're going to encounter on this show. So uh, if you've been here for a while, thanks for coming back. Love you. Appreciate you. If you're new here, hi. And uh, yeah, I don't know. That's it. Here's this week's episode. Our Weird Welcome to Our Weird World. I'm your host, John Henson, and this week it is the fifth edition of our Weird Fun Bag series. We've got three stories. Uh, we are looking at the story of Roof Man, the story of the cocaine bear, and the tree of Tenery, which we will get into right now. We are starting with the story of the tree of Tenere. Uh, I, I look, I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, there's that little accent over each of the three E's in this word. And like, I looked up how to pronounce it. And one version was just like Tenere, which fine. That's great. I can do that. That's what I went with. But then there was another pronunciation that like pronounced the E in a different way every single time. It was like Tenere or something like crazy. I, it, it's not important. I, I know you don't care. Anyway, this was a tree. It was an acacia tree in the African country of Niger. Is it Niger or is it Niger? I don't know, man. Who cares? Um, now, look, here's the thing. There are countless numbers of these acacia trees all over Africa and Australia, and they look exactly like what you would imagine an African tree out in the savanna to look like, right? It's the, you know... It's just a single trunk and their limbs kind of fan out into this wide umbrella of thin leaves. Just like any, pretty much like the trees that you saw in the Lion King. Like that's what these were. That's what these acacia trees were. But what made the tree of Tenere so special was that it was just all by itself out in the middle of the Sahara Desert. And I mean... All by itself, right? The next closest tree, which was another acacia tree named the Arbre Perdu, was over 250 miles away, right? This is that's how isolated this one tree was. No other trees for 250 miles in any direction. So, like, it's out in this flat desert and it's this one tree, right? So, it was special, right? Well, when uh, a well was dug a few feet from this tree in 1938. The people who were digging the well found that the roots of this tree of Tenere stretched all the way to the actual water table, 118 feet below the surface, right? Now, the tree itself, like above the surface, like the element of the tree that you could see was actually pretty small. Um, 
like from its trunk, the wood extended kind of diagonally upward and then it kind of split into two large branches and then kind of, you know, from there kind of split off a little bit more, you know, and had like a pretty healthy canopy of leaves, but like it was probably only maybe 20 feet tall. And then its roots 118 feet down. And again, all alone out in the middle of the desert, right? No trees for 250 miles. However, in 1973, and this is why this story is is here, uh, a drunk Algerian truck driver ran over the tree, right? And I can't, I, I feel like I can't properly express how insane that is, right? This tree, like there's literally nothing else capable of being run over for hundreds of miles in any direction, but this one dude out in a truck in the middle of nowhere, found a way to run over it. (laughs) Like literally could have just turned the steering wheel just a little bit in either direction. And he would have missed it. And somehow this dude hits the tree, knocks it over, kills it. Right. And many people, when they heard about it, they mourned the death of this tree because it had become really a significant landmark and, and something of a sacred site for the tribal people in the area. Um, <clears throat> on November 8th, 1973, a group of people uprooted the dead tree of Tenery and moved it to the Niger National Museum in the country's capital of Niamey. Uh, the tree's remains were placed inside a blue and brown painted pavilion. Um, I assume it's still there today. Back out in the desert, uh, where the tree used to be, supporters erected a metal sculpture in the shape of a tree at the site where the tree of Tenere had been murdered in hopes that it would stand out more so the next drunk driver would make an attempt to swerve out of its way. So, um, like, otherwise, like, you know, again, it's a, it's a story of a tree. It's not that important. But just the fact that there, the, this one tree was just out in the middle of nowhere and someone found a way to hit it and run over it accidentally is just mind blowing to me. Our next story here is of Andrew C. Thornton, who was born on October 30th, 1944 to a couple of parents who owned a successful horse farm near Lexington, Kentucky. Uh, Thornton grew up in private school and he was a member of the Iroquois Polo Club. So, you know, he was kind of all hoity toity as much as, as, as hoity toity as you can get in Kentucky, I guess. Um, after spending time in the army as a paratrooper, Andrew went on to become a narcotics officer and a lawyer, which is crazy. Cause usually those two sides are against each other. Um, however, being on the right, right side of justice was just a little too boring. So, uh, Thornton became one of the leaders in this drug smuggling ring called the company. Uh, in 1981, he was one of 25 men arrested in Fresno, California, as part of a conspiracy to steal weapons from the China Lake Naval Weapons Center and smuggle a thousand pounds of marijuana into the United States. Uh, he pleaded gu- uh, not guilty to those charges and then ran off to North Carolina, where he was quickly rearrested. Uh, in exchange for dropping the felony charges against him, Andrew pleaded no contest to the drug charge, and he was given a six-month prison sentence. Now, unsurprisingly, this did not stop him from continuing to try to smuggle drugs once he got out of prison. Uh, On September 11th, 1985, Andrew jumped into his Cessna 404 in Blairsville, Georgia, which is, you know, in North Georgia, in the mountains of North Georgia. Um, 
he had just dropped off a shipment of cocaine from Colombia and was headed. I, I don't know where he was going. Uh, he was headed north somewhere. Um, but for whatever reason, Andrew, once he got up to cruising altitude, he put his plane on autopilot, grabbed his parachute and jumped out. The problem, however, was that the parachute got stuck in its pack and he never, he, ne- he never, he never deployed it. And he ended up splattering himself on uh, the driveway of Fred Myers in Knoxville, Tennessee, uh, Myers found Andrew wearing night vision goggles, a bulletproof vest, and Gucci shoes. <laughs> it's insane. Um, he also found an army duffel bag with 88 pounds of cocaine valued at $15 million. Uh, additionally, authorities recovered $4,500 in cash, six gold South African coins, and two guns. Now, why is that important? It's not really. This is what's important about this story. Three months later... Uh, Forest Rangers near Hayesville, North Carolina, which is roughly 100 miles south of Knoxville, found a dead black bear. Now, that's not super uncommon. There are a lot of bears out in the woods in the Great Smoky Mountains. It's not super uncommon to find a dead bear every now and then. However, um, Andrew's plane had also ended up crashing near Hayesville. Like, because remember, he was on autopilot, I guess... You know, the plane kind of kept circling whatever route he had it on, runs out of fuel, crashes near uh, Hayesville. And when it crashed, this black bear found the wreckage and also found uh, another bag full of cocaine. And as bears do when they find anything remotely edible, this bear ate all of the cocaine, like all of it. I don't know how much it was. They couldn't figure it out, but it was a ton of cocaine. And so obviously the bear died from a cocaine overdose. Um, Once they figured it out, the bear was actually stuffed. Uh, It passed through several owners where it is now currently uh, on display at uh, a general store in Lexington, Kentucky. Now, um, this story just that premise alone was adapted into this highly fictionized and exaggerated movie called cocaine bear, which released, I think earlier this year, I think it, you know, by the time this episode airs, it will have come out already. Um, yes. Yeah. It came out in late February. So, um, yeah. So, you know, that, that, this is the story. If you saw cocaine bear, I'm sure it wasn't a great movie. It had Ray Liotta in it before he died. But that was just the premise, like the rest of the story in that movie, completely fictionalized. But uh, that this is the inspiration for that movie. Not as exciting, though, as the movie, probably. All right. Our last story here is of Jeffrey Manchester, who was a former army reservist who turned a thief. And kind of actually, if you look at his mugshot, he kind of looks like a young Woody Harrelson from White Men Can't Jump. But anyway, um, he earned the nickname Roofman after he drilled holes into the roofs of fast food restaurants like he was this low rent Mission Impossible Tom Cruise character during this crime spree that he went on from San Francisco to Massachusetts at the end of the 90s. Uh, Roofman was finally captured in 2000 and was actually sentenced to 45 years in prison at the Brown Creek Correctional Institution in Polkton, North Carolina. 
And for the next four years, like Roofman was like a model citizen in prison. Like he worked in several different areas. He earned the trust of his guards. Um, he eventually used that truck uh, trust to become the first person to escape that prison by holding on to the underside of a delivery truck. Now, I still don't understand because I've seen this before where they maybe they get into a garbage truck or it's a delivery truck, whatever it is, how anyone lets prisoners that close to something that goes in and out of prison gates so easily is incomprehensible, but it happened and Roofman just escaped and he went over, you know, to to Charlotte, which is nearby, uh, probably like an hour away from this prison and just started a new life. Uh, for the next six months, he began to identify himself as John. Uh, oh, is this my story? Um, no, it's not. Uh, and he kind of fancied himself as like this devout, kind hearted Christian who had a secret government job. And here's the thing, guys, if you meet anyone who tells you that they kind of have this secret government job that they can't really talk about, just go ahead and assume that they're either a fugitive or a serial killer because I don't know. I feel like the government would tell its, you know, agents to come up with a better story than that, right? Like tell them you work in you know, cybersecurity or that you work in IT or that you work in something that you kind of have some sort of other framework for so you can have a conversation. But don't tell them you have a secret government job that you can't talk about. Come on. It's amateur. All right. Um, he actively volunteered with Crossroads Presbyterian Church and donated all kinds of toys every year to their toy drive. Uh, he even found himself a girlfriend because... You know, women like a dangerous man who has a secret job and they, oh, he's so, uh, whatever. I don't know. <laughs> um, the only problem with uh, Roofman's newfound charitable nature was that he obtained these toys for the toy drives that he donated to and volunteered at by stealing them from Toys R Us locations all over the city. Um, here's the thing. Can you guess how he broke in? Uh, you know, if you think that he drilled a hole into the roof of Toys R Us and repelled his way down. You're actually wrong, right? He was not about that life anymore, right? He he had done that for years by doing, you know, drilling into fast food restaurants through the roof and getting in that way. He was better than that now, you guys. Instead, uh, he moved on to actually mimic uh, the 2000 movie uh, Where the Heart Is, which I'm sure we've all seen that, right? You know, where Natalie Hortman or Natalie Portman lives in a Walmart. And I don't know. I, I, I honestly didn't see it, but I know that that's what she does in that movie. Um, because here's the thing. Not only was Roofman actively robbing Toys R Us, he was living there as well. He didn't have an actual house. Right. He would spend time with his girlfriend. Sure. But then he would go home and like, I don't know how you keep that charade up. I don't know how you as the girlfriend don't just eventually be like, hey, seriously, though, let me see your house. It can't be that bad. And then you just keep coming up with excuses and you stay with them. Ladies have more self-esteem than that. Um, so. So that's the thing is like Roofman didn't even have to break into the store. He would just walk into the Toys R Us every evening and hide behind the bicycle display until the store closed because like he knew minimum wage employees didn't care enough to make sure that anyone was left in the store at closing time. And also 
knew that they didn't care enough to realize that the same guy was walking into their store every night. And like, I don't know, I guess there were no security cameras. No, no one picked up on this because he did it for months. Um, when, so like, you know, after the store was closed, all the lights were out. Roofman would go around and he would eat stolen baby food. Uh, and he would, he would actually like, because he wasn't like a big enough prank to begin with, he would actually break into the manager's office and manipulate employee work schedule, <laughs> which is like, what's the point, right? Like those people had, didn't ever do anything to him. These are just like, a lot of them are probably just like high school kids, college kids are just trying to make a little bit of money. And, dude just goes in after they've probably already seen their schedule and then just changes it. And then that just makes them mad at their manager. The manager's like, I don't know what happened. It's just, it's funny. It's funny to me. Um, but Roofman wasn't done because you know, he has plans here, right? So when the store would become too crowded during the holiday season, Roofman literally tunneled his way into the adjacent store, which had been an abandoned circuit city. All right. So, which I don't know why he didn't just do that to begin with, but I don't know. Maybe it was too obvious. Maybe he couldn't, I don't know where his tunnel to circuit city was, but maybe it was just in a place where he couldn't easily get to it while the store was open. But inside his circuit city house, he set up a cubicle complete with like posters, action figures, a basketball hoop, and even a baby monitor to keep an eye on what was going on next door. Do, like, and he steals all of this from Toys R Us and just takes it next door, sets it all up. And now he's got like this whole network of things so that he can keep track of like, can, are the store employees onto him? Absolutely not. But he's just got this whole setup. So on the day after Christmas in 2004, Roofman went to a nearby pawn shop and stole a gun, which that's impressive, right? Um, he then returned to his Toys R Us which were full of people returning all kinds of like unwanted Christmas gifts and actually attempted a takeover style robbery of the entire store. Uh, two employees escaped and alerted authorities who found Roofman's uh, little setup next door in the circuit city and started, you know, from there piecing together his true identity. Um, somehow during this whole thing, Roofman escaped from the Toys R Us, even though he tried to like rob everybody, he escapes. Um, and over the next week, he completely eluded police. Like, I don't know what Charlotte police were up to and how bad they were at this. But like during that time, he actually went to a nearby dentist's office and got his teeth cleaned because look, guys, hygiene's important. Even if you are a wanted fugitive, it's very important to take care of yourself. And Roofman knew this. And so he went and got his teeth cleaned. Um, however, shortly after his cleaning, Roofman realized that his dentist office would likely have access to his dental records, which would then uncover his true identity and soon send the police after him. And he realized his mistake. So what does he do? He responds the only way he knows how completely irrationally. He went back to the dentist office and just sets the entire building on fire. <laughs> Oh, it's, I mean, it's amazing that this, all of this happened, right? 
Especially like in the city where I live. Like I just can't imagine some guy just terrorizing this entire city. Um, the next day after, you know, the, the building had been set on fire, police actually completed their investigation. They figured out who Roofman was. And when investigators told Roofman's girlfriend that her boyfriend was actually an escaped convict wanted for theft and arson and wasn't actually this ruggedly handsome secret government agent, she was absolutely shocked. She could not believe it because a guy lying to a girl about who he really was has absolutely never happened before. Surely not, right? Um, However, police convinced her to work with them, and so... Uh, they got her to lure Roofman back to her house one last time to celebrate her birthday and probably, you know, little, she's like, come celebrate my birthday and then we'll have, you can give me my birthday present later, wink, wink, or maybe I'll give you a present, you know, whatever it is. I don't know. Um, so like Roofman was like, yeah, I'm gonna get laid. And then he arrives at her house and he's immediately apprehended, um, thus ending the career of another crafty, elusive, wannabe supervillain. As far as I know, he is still in prison, serving his sentence, unless he somehow escapes again. All right, the fifth edition of The Weird Fun Bag is in the books. Uh, A shorter episode, a little bit this week, but honestly, whatever, man. It's a free show. I'm not getting paid to do this. I don't have a Patreon or anything like that. And all the other episodes have been like 45 minutes or something crazy like that. So, uh, yeah, whatever. Not that that you care, but whatever. Um, Yeah, let's wrap this week's episode up and see what we learned today. What did we learn? Number one, the tree of Tenery was the only tree anywhere for 250 miles and someone found a way to run over it on accident, which is just amazing to me. Um, Number two, the movie Cocaine Bear is highly fictionalized. Like the, the only factual element of that movie is that a bear died with a cocaine overdose. Nothing else about that movie is real. And I'm sorry to disappoint you if you thought it was number three roof man was Charlotte's kind of super villain, but I don't know. Not really. I, whatever he, but he stole from toys R us lived there and then tried to, you know, tried to take everything over and it didn't work out for him. And so he is now still, as far as I know, still in prison. Next week on Our Weird World, we are looking at some unlucky lottery winners, right? Like, now look, there's all kinds of stories how someone wins this giant jackpot and then they blow all their money and they're back to being poor again or whatever. Like, this is like that, but way, way, way worse. So three stories next week, uh, looking at the stories of Bud Post, Jack Whitaker, and Anthony Amato. Uh, Just, you know, next time you start dreaming about winning the lottery, 
just you'll have to remember these three stories and maybe reconsider i don't know just working hard maybe i don't know anyway that's it thank you for continuing to listen keep telling all your friends and keep it weird Here in my car, I feel safest of all. I can lock all my doors. It's the only way to live in cars. Here in my car, I can only receive. I can listen to you. It keeps me stable for days in cars. Here in my car, where the image breaks down, will you visit me, please, if I open my door? In cars? Here in my car, I know I've started to think about leaving tonight, although nothing seems right in cars.